Hi everyone, welcome back to the Congressional App Challenge podcast. My name is Meta, and today we have a special guest with us, Jay Ahn. Jay Ahn serves as the Vice President of Operations in the Emerging Group Market Groups at Akima. She specializes in consultancy and dot connecting support to clients' as complex requirements with effective data collection, analysis, and semantic matchmaking techniques to create orchestrated solutions unique to each. Jay, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, so let's just jump right in. Do you mind talking about what you do? What does it mean to be a vice president of operations and what comes with the responsibilities? Sure. So I work for a company called Akima, which is actually pretty interesting. It's an Alaska native corporation, or ANC for short, that was really formed to support economically disadvantaged population in northwestern part of Alaska. I'm not sure if you know, but there's a you know, severe poverty, especially child poverty that's going on in that region. So what my company, Akima, and its operating units or companies do is, you know, what the money that we make in support of the federal government, the dividends are paid out to who we call shareholders that are really the uh, um, the natives to that region. So, you know, that's the those villages uh, that they call home for, you know, centuries. So, the uh, you know, that's sort of the reason why I joined the company. But mm-hmm. Akima works with the, uh, the federal government and, you know, we do a variety of things, everything from information technology to, you know, logistics to, you know, the uh, systems engineering and so have you. But, the business unit that I support as part of Emerging Markets Group, we actually are pretty much newly formed business unit. And what I mean by newly, it's going back to about three years. We were established to provide cutting edge technology solutions to the federal government. Um, the, and, and you know I can talk about that more in detail later, but as VP of operations, what that means is pretty much I work for my people. So whatever that needs to get done to make sure that there's a seamless operation of all the contracts, all the companies, and and that's me simplifying it, but pretty much I manage the overall group's financial, programmatic, and technical operations across all operating companies. So we have the uh, seven operating companies within the business unit. uh, So I make sure that they're, you know, working in in line with the other strategic plan, as well as, um, you know, we're continuing to grow, our people are taken care of, our clients are taken care of, and the, uh, our technical solutions are sound. Um, and I'm also part of the uh, business development and strategic planning for the future of the company. First of all, that's so impressive. You do so much. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned that the purpose of the company is why you decided to work there. Do you mind talking more about like what kind of impact you've been able to have while working at the company? Um, and like if doing things for people who are underprivileged is something that you've always been passionate about, like how did you kind of gain interest in that? So I do nothing really about Alaska Native corporations until... I joined Akima. I work for you know small, mid-sized, large businesses. I've had a lot of different, you know, I've held a lot of different positions for a lot of different types of companies. But I actually joined Akima through a connection of mine who insisted that I meet my who's my current boss slash mentor. And you know, he set me down and and yeah, we clicked right away. But one of the things that I've learned is that this 
type of company exists. So it is just like anybody else, for-profit business, except instead of profiting one single owner or the, uh, say, stockholders for publicly traded companies, not only I get to do cool stuff, I also the money that we help generate, the profit we help generate, will go to those economically disadvantaged populations that live in the villages that still, by the way, hunt for a living, that has to pay enormous amount of money for things that we take for granted, like toilet papers and gallon of you know gas or things that we can just buy easily in grocery stores because they still travel in boats and planes because the infrastructure is not all there because you know, simply because of distance from lower 48 and I thought it was really neat so it was really I wasn't looking to work for necessarily a not-for-profit type company but once I heard about its mission I said well we all do this for a reason and this was only going to solidify why I'm in the industry and and put more meaning to what I do daily. Yeah, that's really meaningful and makes a lot of sense. So I really appreciate that, you know, you're working for not only like you're working for a cause that you believe in. Um, and so I'm so curious, um, you mentioned that the way that you were able to find your role at this company was by connecting with your current mentor and boss. So do you, how do you like, do you, do you agree with the idea that like your career after a certain point is all about the people you know and like what sorts of recommendations do you give to people who are just starting out um, who don't have any connections in industries that they're interested in? So, you know, it's thanks for asking that question. So when I first got into the industry, which wasn't necessarily, it was kind of the outskirts of IT, um, but not really, you know, close to what I do now, but I was really petrified of this over this concept of networking right? Because you got to start somewhere. But what if you don't know anyone? What if you don't have parents or neighbors or relatives or, or somebody who can help you out? So say you got a job through the regular interviewing process and here you are. So what do you do then? Or to even get the job? Well, here's what I found is more I tried to be somebody else. And because that's what I really found frustrating in the beginning is I felt like I had to be someone else to do this networking thing, right? I had to act like I was an adult, but all that did is it made me feel like a kid in a room full of adults, except I'm wearing suit that's too, too big for me, right? Like you see these cartoons with little kids in a big suit and they're dragging the, the sleeves. That's literally, that's, that's really how it made me feel. So what I really focused on is, okay, no matter where I am, I need to know who I am. There's nobody else who knows me better than me. And I need to quickly assess what kind of value that I can provide to each and every meeting or these, what we call connecting that I get to do. Every person I get to touch, every conversation I get to do. So really what it boiled down to was prep. I prepped a lot. So every meeting and whether I was a spectator or I was an active participant, I've made sure that I knew everything about that meeting and the people that were going to be in the meeting if and when, whenever possible, right? And if I happen to be at a place, say, you know, there's industry happy hours and things like that. Well, I was not really all that outgoing and I still wouldn't consider myself, you know, super outgoing extrovert, but it was harder for me to be part of those engagements if I tried too hard. It was more so me trying to find common denominators in trying to have a conversation with people and not just trying to interject and trying to act like I knew something 
that I really didn't know. So my advice would be that be yourself, but be prepared and know yourself. You think you know yourself or are you prepared to talk about yourself? Because I think that is number one thing that we think we know how to do, but we don't. That's why a lot of people have a hard time writing resumes or struggling in interviews when they're given that one chance to talk about who they are. Instead of really taking pride in bragging about who they are, they think they have to fit the narrative to impress whoever they're talking to. Well, there's some truth to that, but the reality is, is that being genuine comes through, right? You can't pretend to be and be a, and do a good job at that, at something that you know that you're not. Yeah, I, th- I really like that answer um, because networking has always been something that has scared me. And I really like that you said being genuine and authentic is the number one part of networking besides being prepared, um, especially if you're coming from a background of not being in that industry or connected in any way. So I really appreciate that advice. And so based off of that, I'm really curious about your career path. So how did you end up pivoting to starting from being a recruiter to ending up now in operations? Like, what did that journey look like? And how did you kind of decide when it was time to move on to the next step and what that next step would be for you? You know, that's probably the number one question that I get on LinkedIn, but I had multiple internships in college. So I studied philosophy part because I didn't know what I wanted to be. I'm 18 years old. I have no idea who I want to be. I think I can take over the world. So what do I have to study to take over the world? And my answer at the time was I'm going to study writing and philosophy. I'm going to learn how to think. I'm going to learn how to write and communicate. So I went and did that, but I also had to worry about what I'm going to do for a living. So every summer and every chance I got, I tried something. I went and did internship for, you know, inside sales. I went and tried, and that happened to be for a software company. I went and did political canvassing. I went and did event planning. I went and did auditing. And through that, I realized, and I always have been very competitive and I like competing. I like the art and science of competing. So when I thought about, okay, where is that one industry that is purely driven by meritocracy and I can get compensated and I can move up based on how hard I work. And the thought that popped into my mind was sales. And I found out that it was a staffing, IT staffing, which, you know, recruiting, which a lot of times people think it's just recruiting HR related. Well, there's a part of the recruiting industry that is outsourced, that is highly competitive and pretty much cutthroat and it's all sales. You got to find your customer, you got to sell the you know, job to candidates and you're constantly working. And I said, well, let me go learn how to do that the hardest way possible. So I got into recruiting and I did that for three years. And, and that happened to have been in the IT, federal IT sector. And as I was doing that and I did well, but I wanted to learn more about this federal contracting thing, right? Because I, I wanted to learn what is driving, what is creating these jobs, what is creating these positions. And at the same time, I was also studying IT. And what I mean by IT, I, w- I took up on coding and some basics of IT so that I could have meaningful conversations with candidates and the customers. And I was recruited by another company to pretty much run their staffing division of a federal contracting company. So. I remember meeting with the CEO in an interview. I said, Hey, I have an idea. I think it's your, I think it's a giant waste of your time and money to hire me to be a staffing manager. What if I think my exact words were, what if I kill at this, will you give me a shot as a business development manager for your federal contracts? And 
he said, okay. So, you know, in three months, I got promoted to be a BD manager. I worked really hard. And then I kind of took the path of growing within the BD and capture industry, which is more analytical and, and the, uh, and more shaping and, and of those, those kind of things, more strategic kind of things. And the, uh, and I wanted to kind of put my skills to test because I was continuing to study IT, um, especially in the security area, specifically for medical devices or embedded security. So long story short, I found a contract I was interested in. I won it. I went and made myself a employee of that contract, essentially. And the uh, and that kind of took me to work for NIST as a guest researcher, hacking medical devices and also supporting veterans affairs for their health IT security division. And then I tried that for a few years and I came back to pretty much BD and or business development. And now I am actually in more so in operations of a company operations. So my career has taken me to multiple places. And quite honestly, I do what makes me happy. It sounds really selfish, but I don't think it is because I think that is one, one right that everybody has, which is pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. I I love what you said about always doing things that bring you joy and make you happy and are fulfilling. Um, And I definitely don't think that's selfish. I think that's meaningful and important. Because as you said, how can you even work eight hours a day on something that you don't actually like, you know? And so I love that. And so I wanted to pivot a little bit to ask you about things outside of your workplace that you work on. Um, And so I know that you're involved in Girls in Technology or GIT. What is your role and what is it that you do? So I'm one of many volunteers. I mean, that's an entirely volunteer-run organization, and they obviously, as you know, um, serve a very noble cause. And the uh, I help with the uh, variety of events for girls in tech, as well as to serve as a mentor in their mentor protege program. So I have also I'm also certified robotics um, judge. So I have helped with the uh, their robotics events here in D.C. Um, that's geared towards you know elementary and middle school students, which has been a lot of fun, rewarding, but I what I do is nothing compared to what some of the volunteers do. They have put their heart and souls and, and they've done wonders for the, the STEM community, especially for girls. That's amazing. Um, I think your efforts as well as like a volunteer and a mentor and as well as being a certified judge in robotics is just very, very admirable and very cool. Um, so lastly, because I know we're short on time, I wanted to ask if you had any advice for any of the young listeners, especially young women and entrepreneurs listening to the podcast. You know, I it, it's going to sound really weird, but I hate giving advice, but I don't at the same time because I don't think there's a silver bullet that works for everyone. So there's a lot of books and articles and, you know, this inspirational quotes out there. But every girl is made different. Every girl comes from different background. The number one thing that I struggle the most trying to make it or trying to do something in the industry is constantly being made to feel like I needed to look like something or be something or speak like something. Well, here's the reality. And if there's any advice I can give to somebody is focus on building and owning your own brand. Nobody manages your brand. You know, pick one and it may not be right, but you start by emulating the pieces of the uh, the people, characteristics and attributes of people that you admire or what, whatever the case may be. It's not going to be perfect day one, but you got to own and build your own brand. As I have changed jobs over and over, you know, as I've tried different industries and what have you, I didn't focus on the fact that, oh, I'm going to kill it in the next job. I'm going to kill it in the next job. In fact, I only chased after the things that I didn't know much about. 
and I knew it was gonna be difficult than the thing, the last thing that I did. And the reason why I was able to do that is not because I thought I was the greatest thing and I knew everything and I was so intelligent. No, I knew I'd be fine. I can, I can, even if I don't like it, I don't do well, that's okay. I can get back up and I can do it again and I'll be better, right? So it's the confidence in knowing who you are that, and knowing that you be fine, you be okay. And you gotta also enjoy the ride, but it's really the self-confidence because no one's gonna be confident in you as much as you are in yourself. And if it's the opposite, then we got a problem, right? So that, that'd be the only thing. I mean, I wish I had some inspirational thing to share with everyone that's gonna work for everyone, but I do sometimes worry about, you know, some of the advices that, that are being given to especially young women about say this, do this, and, you know, do all, like, I, I just, you know, each girl is made differently. But as long as they know that they'll be okay, as long and they have the resilience to try it, and what if it didn't go well? That's fine, but shoot for the best, and you'll be able to do it again. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. I know you don't classify it as advice, but I think it's really great advice um, that I think will really work for everyone, which is, you know, embracing their their um, their strengths and weaknesses and being true to who they are. I think that's really, really important um, and definitely something that, you know, all people, especially young women, need to hear more instead of just trying to be like everyone else, which I really appreciate. Well, thank you so much for all of your time and all of your words. I think I've learned a lot and I definitely think our listeners will learn a lot. Um, and so I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. With that, thank you so much for the listeners for listening and we'll see you next time with a new episode.